Hey guys, and welcome to the Moms and Mysteries podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Melissa, I almost messed up that intro. I was wondering. <laughs> I was like, where is she going? Is she going to get back to I was to wondering us? if What's I was happen? going to be able to bring it back around. Yeah, I still get tripped up. It's kind of like uh, when you start a new year and then you uh, write the old year for the like two months before you finally get your brain catches up. I feel oh, like yeah. it's kind of like that. I almost said... Welcome to the Moms and Murder podcast. So anyway, I'm I didn't do it though, but yeah, <laughs> still interesting. It's still interesting. The pause was good. Yeah, I mean, other people will. I've seen stuff with us tagged, or people put like formerly Moms and Murder. I'm like, oh, that's so sweet. Yeah, <laughs> like they're trying. Thank you for trying. <laughs> it takes a while. I totally get it. And speaking of things that take a while, Mandy. That is a terrible segue. Uh, segue. <laughs> um, but it feels like this is taking a while. Hey, guys, we have a moment coming up on February fe- 15th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And if you're like, Melissa, Mandy, what is a moment? Mandy, do you want to explain? <laughs> do you like that I passed yeah, it to you? I and like, I feel I like I have it. given explanations that have been absolutely terrible. In fact, oh. you told me that they were terrible explanations. <gasps> Did well, I? When you said it was like SNL. You were like, don't oh, say yeah, that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, that just raises it expectations. Does. You're right. So, yeah. So, yeah. So, as it's it's live. It's a live show. We are going to be in a studio. You're going to be at home. <laughs> That's how it works. So, uh, yeah, this is, as Melissa said, it's on February 15th, which is our new date because our old date was the Super Bowl. So, Super yeah, Bowl. so we had to, we had to change the moment. So, um, the moment will go on though. A moment will go on um, <laughs> February 15th. Yes, $10 uh, before day of. I think it goes up a little bit. We don't really have control over that kind of thing. Um, but there is a an after show after where we'll play a game or do something. But it's an interactive kind of show. So we'll be able to see your questions, kind of answer things as we go along. We're telling several kind of love gone wrong stories. Um, so you'll Keeping see what it it's like Valentine's when we don't edit. Theme. Yeah, it's like Valentine's Day, but not quite. Candy's like half off. So buy some candy, (laughs) watch the moment. And you could maybe treat yourself to some of our new merch because we're dropping some new merch designs. So, hey. They're just an idea. Cute. I'm so excited. Yeah, we'll have some there. We're gonna give uh, do some giveaways, so you don't want to miss it. We only have to talk about this next this week and next week, and we'll be done talking about it. Um, and so the beginning of our introductions will just be us talking about the weather again. Are you happy? Are you happy? Well, are you happy? I'm happy. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So the website is moment.co slash moms and mysteries if you would like to get tickets. And Mandy, without further ado, do you want to get into this week's episode? All right, Melissa. So the story this week is one that might hit close to home if you're a parent, which is probably a lot of our listeners. At some point, or maybe even at many points, every parent has thought up the worst possible case scenario that could happen to their child. I have always been a bit of an anxious mom, and some might say I even have helicoptered over my kids when they were younger, but it was and is always out of love and genuine concern and honestly just straight up fear that something will happen to them. That same fear is why Dawn Drexel was against her 17-year-old daughter Brittany going on a spring break trip to Myrtle Beach with her friends. Like many teenagers, Brittany was strong-willed, independent, and full of life. She was in her junior year at Gates Chili High in Rochester, New York, where she was the star of the soccer team, and she was known for her speed on the field. She once made 23 goals in a single season. In addition to soccer, 
Brittany had a passion for cosmetology and fashion, and she was an aspiring model. She had grown up with her mom and stepdad, Chad, who she was very close with. Her biological father wasn't a big part of her life, and she considered Chad to be her dad. He taught her everything about being self-reliant and made sure that she could do things for herself, such as change attire if she needed to. In 2009, her parents were legally separated and going through a divorce, which really upset Brittany. She was living with her mom at the time, and she got to see her dad often, but of course, that's a really tough age for, you know, for them to be separating, so she was taking it pretty hard. That April, some friends of hers were planning a spring break trip to Myrtle Beach. These friends had plans to stay at the Bar Harbor Resort on the main strip of Myrtle Beach, which is North Ocean Boulevard. So we're not exactly sure what the plans were for the week, but personally, as somebody who grew up really living on the beach, I grew up in Daytona and did live right down there on the beach. I experienced many spring breaks. I have a pretty good idea of what goes on during that, and I can totally, you know, understand why Brittany's mom was like, no, absolutely not. That does not sound like a great idea. So Dawn told Brittany that she couldn't go on this trip. She said, number one, she doesn't know these friends. And number two, there wasn't going to be any adults or any parents on the trip. And number three, she said she just had a really bad feeling that something could happen to Brittany. And as a mom, these are all valid reasons. I totally yeah. understand where Dawn is coming from to, you know, to be saying this is not something I'm comfortable with. So when Dawn said no, this spurred this kind of all day long argument between she and Brittany. And after the argument kind of cooled off, Brittany asked her mom if she could go stay at a friend's house for a few days to calm down. So Dawn allowed this because she really felt she had no reason not to trust Brittany. So she let Brittany pack a bag and she went to her friend's house. Unbeknownst to Dawn, she didn't go to a friend's house. Brittany actually left for Myrtle Beach, which is a 13-hour drive from Rochester with three of her friends named Jennifer, Philip, and Alana. So these four teens arrived in Myrtle Beach the following day, which was Thursday, April 23rd, and they checked into their hotel. Other friends who were meeting them arrived separately, and one of these friends was a 20-year-old promoter at a Rochester club. So locally where Brittany lives is where she knows him from. His name was Peter, and Peter was also meeting other friends of his and sharing a hotel room in Myrtle Beach. So that Thursday and Friday, Brittany kept in touch with her boyfriend named John, and he knew that she was in Myrtle Beach. Of course, her mom doesn't know that she has gone to Myrtle Beach, but her boyfriend John does know. And while Brittany was in Myrtle Beach, she was keeping in touch with her mom and really just making it seem like she was at her friend's house still in New York. On Saturday, April 25th, Brittany spent some time at the beach with her friend Peter, and she texted with her boyfriend John and some other friends throughout the day. That evening at 7.10 p.m., she told John that she was in the hotel room getting ready to go out with her friends that night. At some point, she realized that she had left her flip-flops at the beach, and her friend Peter grabbed them for her, so she decided to walk just a little over a mile to Peter's motel to pick them up. While she was there, Brittany talked to her friend Jennifer about borrowing a pair of black shorts to wear that night. Brittany told Jennifer she'd meet them back at the hotel after she got her shoes. So there's surveillance at this motel, and it showed that Brittany entered the motel at 8.33 p.m., and she left at 8.48 Three minutes later, she sent her boyfriend John a text saying that she was upset. She said she was, quote, going to bug. You have no idea, end quote. And so John asked her why, and she said she'd tell him later when she called, but that she was, quote, so heated. 
So John told her basically, don't let this ruin your time at the beach. It's her last night there. And really, she should just try to enjoy it. But Brittany responded to him and said she wasn't going out anymore, but she was going to stay at the hotel and then pack and go to bed. John asked her again, you know, what was wrong and why she wasn't going out with her friends, but Brittany never responded back. She actually didn't respond to any texts after that, not to John, not to any other friends who tried texting her. Brittany never made it back to her hotel room that night. All of her clothing was left behind, but she did have her purse and cell phone with her when she disappeared. And the more time passed with no response from Brittany, John and her friends, of course, became increasingly worried. So finally at 10 p.m., John sends a text to Brittany saying, if you don't respond to me, I'm going to call your mom and tell her that you're not in New York, you're actually in Myrtle Beach. To me, this shows that John was super, super worried about her at this point. Oh, for sure, because you know what that means. You know the kind of trouble somebody's going to be in for being in a different state, their right. mom not knowing. Like, you are absolutely concerned for her well-being at that point. And I have a lot of respect for him even doing that because some Definitely. people would say, like, oh, whatever, you know, tomorrow she'll write back. I'm not going to worry. But for him to really know something is definitely wrong. So there's still no response from Brittany. And just a short time later, Don would learn for the first time that Brittany had even left New York at all and that she was now missing in South Carolina. Don was shocked to hear that Brittany had gone to Myrtle Beach. She had never done anything like that before. And so Don's unsure what to do. She contacts the local police in Rochester because she didn't really even know how to get in contact with the local police in Myrtle Beach. And she also asked a friend who uh, lived in North Carolina to go to Myrtle Beach and to tell the police that something happened to Brittany. They also called Brittany's friend Peter, who was actually the last person to see Brittany alive. And they asked him, you know, why haven't you called the police and why aren't you going to look for her? And he basically said, hey, I'm not her babysitter. So John and Don headed to South Carolina to look for Brittany themselves. When Don and John got into Myrtle Beach, Brittany's friends were still in town. They were all questioned by local authorities, but after that, Don says that none of them or their parents offered to help or made any effort to search for Brittany. None of them even contacted Don to offer support or condolences, which I, that just honestly breaks my heart and makes me a little angry, like as a mom, to think that, like, you know, if my kids, like, God forbid something like this were to happen and, like, something, you know, your child went missing and then they were there with friends, I feel like you would kind of, I don't know, as a, another parent, like, I would expect them to kind of reach out. You're, they were on the same trip together and just kind of at least say, yeah. like, we're, we'll, you know, we're here for you or just something. I don't know. I kind of felt really bad, you know, that, that they didn't really reach out sad. to her. Yeah, me too. Also, wasn't some of this that, like, Dawn really didn't know these friends? They don't know their family. Like, that was part of why she didn't even want her to go, right? It's not yeah. like they're best friends. They've all grown up together. These are, like, new friends. So this whole thing, maybe at the beginning, you know, they yeah. they didn't know what to do. But I agree with you. Like, that reading that part really, like, hurt my heart for her. Yeah, for sure. So after speaking with her friends, officers learned that Peter was the last person to see Brittany before she disappeared. They confirmed that she had gone over there to pick up the flip-flops that she left on the beach. And Peter told the officers that he was staying in this room at the Blue Water Resort with four other guys. So these four other men were interviewed, and they said that they didn't know Brittany. They just knew that she was Peter's friend from New York. 
They said Brittany came to the hotel room at about 8 p.m. And she mentioned while she was there that she'd been arguing with her friend Jennifer over that pair of black shorts that we mentioned before. The shorts actually belonged to Jennifer and Brittany was wearing them and something about Jennifer wanting them back. And so they were kind of going back and forth. You know, Jennifer was saying, where are you? Come back to the hotel room. And Brittany was saying, I'm coming. And they were kind of just going back and forth with each other about it. It's a very high school argument that right. they're having, right, over like a pair of shorts that somebody wants to wear. Right, exactly. So uh, the men that were in the hotel room with Peter said that Brittany left about 10 minutes after she got there. So the police found out that Peter actually checked out of the hotel room at around 1 a.m. on April 26th while the other four men stayed behind. And naturally, when you hear that, you're probably thinking that Peter looks pretty guilty, right? Well, pretty much everybody at the time was thinking the same thing. Peter later went on Dr. Phil multiple times and denied knowing anything about what happened to Brittany that night after she left his hotel room. He said that his name had been dragged through the mud unfairly. And just a little spoiler alert here, Peter was right. He It was later proven that he did not have anything to do with any of this. So back to the investigation, though, Brittany's cell phone was tracked and investigators learned that her phone had traveled south on Highway 17 and it was pinging in Surfside at 9.27 p.m. Now, Surfside is seven miles south of the Blue Water Resort Motel where she was staying. So her phone continued to ping off of towers heading south and driving through different towns. Uh, one of them was Georgetown before they arrived in McClellanville at 10.16 p.m. And that was 50 miles south of the motel where she was last seen. That's a pretty long way. Yeah. So her phone continued to ping from this tower until 11.58 p.m. that night, but her phone never pinged again after that. A search team spent 11 straight days looking for Brittany with large-scale searches happening every day for the next five to six months. Each time, there would be between 200 and 500 people involved in the search for her. And one weekend, they had over 800 people looking for her. Every method of searching was utilized trying to find her, including air, water, ground, and even sonar searches. Unfortunately, the swampy terrain in the local area made it challenging to conduct thorough searches due to the threat of alligators, snakes, and wild hogs. No one searching ever found any sign of Brittany. So Dawn began to come up with her own theories about what happened to her daughter. She thought Brittany may have agreed to disobey her and go to Myrtle Beach anyway because at the time, according to Dawn, she said her mental stability, quote, wasn't good. Dawn and her husband were going through a divorce, which had been weighing heavily on Brittany, and they're going through a really tough time at that point because Dawn was actually losing the house. She thinks that Brittany was desperate for security and stability and could have been persuaded to go to Myrtle Beach on promises of a modeling job or something similar. Dawn also theorized that Brittany had possibly been put into sex trafficking. Neither Dawn nor Brittany's dad or boyfriend John believe that she ran away on purpose, but unfortunately, it would be quite some time before police had any credible leads to follow. And we still have so much to get into this episode, and we'll do that after one quick break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. Our furry friends give their all every day. Don't you think it's time you return the favor? Give them the fuel that they deserve with Nom Nom's scrumptious real food. No more bland kibble for your pup. It's time to upgrade to a culinary experience worthy of a top dog. 
Get ready to pamper your pup like royalty with Nom Nom's gourmet dog food delivery. Every portion is personalized to your furry friend's needs because who wants a one-size-fits-all diet? With Nom Nom, you can say goodbye to boring kibble and hello to fresh, whole food you'd be happy to eat yourself. That is, if you were a dog, of course. There's no shady additives or fillers here, just wholesome ingredients that'll keep your pup feeling frisky and full of energy. Thanks to cutting-edge science and a team of expert veterinary nutritionists, Nom Nom is serving up meals that are packed with all the nutrients your dog needs. And the best part? It's all made fresh and it's delivered straight to your door with zero delivery fee. Nom Nom has delivered over 40 million meals and counting and inspired countless clean bowls and wagging tails. My dog Remy is obsessed with Nom Nom and now when he sees me pull his food out, he is a jumping fool waiting for his bowl of Nom Nom. Go right now for 50% off your no-risk two-week trial at trynom.com slash moms. Spelled trynom.com slash moms for 50% off. Trynom.com slash moms. I am a big fan of photo books. They're such a great way to display memories in a way that is cute and organized. But our next sponsor does something to bring together the awesomeness of photo books and the ever-present daily activity of texting. Because who said you can't have your cake and text it too? Keepster is the only way to easily turn your favorite iPhone texts and photos into a beautiful display-worthy book. Every couple of days, my father-in-law sends us old photos of my kids in our family group chat, and we all ooh and awe over them, and it's honestly always the highlight of my day. And now, thanks to Keepster, I can finally preserve these texts and photos for all of eternity. This app is like a magic genie for your texts, your photos, emojis, inside jokes, and more. You simply download it to your computer, pick your favorite memories, and voila. And if you want to add more context or pictures, it's a piece of cake with Keepster's user-friendly technology. Keepster sent us a sample book, and it's so cute with super high quality, it would make the perfect gift for anyone. Speaking of gifts, if you're wondering what to get your sweetie for Valentine's Day, look no further. Keepster was created out of love when the founder wanted to make a book of her texts for her friends and family, but couldn't find a way to do it. Keepster makes for a personalized and customizable gift for anyone, and not just for V-Day, but for birthdays, anniversaries, or just because. Plus, books start at only $12.99, which is such a steal, and for all you procrastinators, don't worry. You can even get a digital copy while you wait for the physical book to arrive. We live and share so much of our lives on our phones. Now you can save what's special with Keepster. So if you have an iPhone, head to keepster.co slash moms and put in promo code moms for 20% off. That's keepster.co slash moms and use code moms for 20% off. One last time, keepster.co slash moms for 20% off. And now back to the episode. So before the break, we were getting into the story of Brittany Drexel, a 17-year-old girl from Rochester, New York, who went to uh, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina behind her mom's back for a spring break trip with some friends. She was on her last night of the trip there and was supposed to be heading back to her hotel room, but she never showed up. And uh, her boyfriend in New York alerted her mom, who then alerted authorities And right before the break, we were talking about the search that had been ongoing for her. It was not very successful. They didn't have a lot of leads in the story until quite some time later. So at this point now, it is 2011. It's been two years or close to two years since Brittany Drexel went missing. So I cannot imagine being in a situation where I thought that somebody in my family could have potentially been responsible for a crime as serious as this one. But as I said, in 2011, the police got a tip from somebody who wanted them to look into their family member, a man named Raymond Moody. 
he had a relevant criminal past. So the name actually wasn't entirely foreign to the investigators. Raymond had been on their list of potential suspects since the day after Brittany disappeared because, yeah, he had actually gotten pulled over in Surfside Beach. And it was noted during this traffic stop that his face was covered in scratches. Raymond Moody was actually a convicted sex offender with a long history of kidnapping and raping young women and children. He was convicted of such a crime in 1983 in California and sentenced to serve 40 years in prison, but was released in 2004 after serving just half of that sentence. Upon his release, Raymond moved back to Georgetown, South Carolina, which is where he originally hailed from. At the time of Brittany's disappearance, he was living in a motel there. According to a former romantic partner who saw Raymond a few days after Brittany was last seen, Raymond's face and head, which was shaved, had what this person described as claw marks all over it. And Raymond's girlfriend, Angel, also spoke with investigators and revealed some other suspicious things. She said that Raymond was abusive and had these disturbing dreams and fantasies about abducting girls. Angel said that she once saw Raymond take down one of Britney's missing posters at a McDonald's because he said that he was tired of looking at it every day. And she also told investigators that she'd believe it if they told her Raymond was responsible for pretty much any disappearance and that she was terrified of him. She said that he told her things like, quote, you will disappear and no one will ever find you, end quote. So despite telling the police, you know, about this horrifying relationship that she's in angel did continue to stay with raymond and dated him for many many years to come which as we just as we just demonstrated she was terrified of him so it's totally understandable why she couldn't get away from him so investigators went back and tried to search the room that raymond was staying in at the time of Brittany's disappearance but as we said it's been over two years now and the search really didn't turn up anything raymond also refused to speak to them so they couldn't get anywhere with that In February 2012, it was officially announced that Raymond Moody was a person of interest in the case, but there wasn't a lot of coverage on this announcement, and the police never really spoke about him again. That is, until just recently, 10 years later, in 2022. But we're getting ahead of ourselves, and we'll get back to Ray shortly. By 2014, little progress had been made in the search to find out what happened to Brittany. So Don actually moved to Myrtle Beach to help search and stay on top of law enforcement there. That year, police said, quote, Everybody has been questioned. Everybody involved has been questioned. Nobody has been ruled in or out, and there are no persons of interest to report, end quote. But then, in 2016, a jailhouse snitch and massive liar sent police in the wrong direction and ruined an entire family's life with his false allegations about an innocent young man named Tim Taylor. So we want to make it clear up front that absolutely nothing this snitch said was true. And we really want to talk about this, though, because it's important to bring awareness to this kind of situation. This whole story kind of, as we get into Tim's part of the story... Again, he had nothing to do with any of this, but his name being brought up, it reminds me of how many times you'll see somebody goes missing on Facebook. You'll see, you know, this person's dead, blah, blah, blah. And just all these internet detectives writing, I know it's this person. I know it's this person. And how much damage that absolutely does to people who have nothing to do with it. That just happened with the Idaho, Idaho 4 killings. There's like a professor that some YouTuber said, this person needs to be looked into. Well, he's suing them now because yeah. it will absolutely ruin your life. There's 
sorry, I'm like very passionate about this today. But yeah, no, this part of the story is one of the ones I feel like definitely this is a case that needs to be like studied, you know, so that we can avoid this ever happening or find out how we can stop this from happening to anybody else again. Yeah. Because yeah, it's really what happened to Tim in this case is so sad for him and his whole family. Yeah, so I'll get into it. Sorry, I got like already like all riled up about this. But in the summer of 2016, the FBI actually takes over Brittany's case as lead investigators, and they announced that they believe they knew what happened to her. And they weren't releasing all the details at that point, but they wanted to make sure the family understood the very real possibility that Brittany was no longer alive. They offered a $25,000 reward for information leading to an arrest and conviction. Later, an alleged witness named Taquan Brown told FBI investigators that Brittany had been kidnapped near Blue Water Resort and then taken to a rural area 60 miles south near McClellanville, where she was then held against her will for four days before she was ultimately murdered. He elaborated and said that she had gone to a quote-unquote stash house in McClellanville, where he personally witnessed Tim Taylor, who was just 16 years old at this time, along with seven other people sexually assaulting Brittany. Taquan said he'd gone down to this stash house to pay Tim's father, Sean, some money. And while they were outside talking, Brittany ran from the house, but was then pistol whipped and brought back inside. Then Taquan said that Sean Taylor, that's Tim's dad, went into the house and that's when Taquan heard two gunshots. He said Brittany was then wrapped up and taken away from the house. So at the time he spoke to investigators about this case, Taquan was conveniently only about eight months into a 25-year sentence for voluntary manslaughter. So based on this information from Taquan that, as we have already said, turned out to all be a bunch of lies, the police came up with a theory. And the theory was that Tim Taylor had planned to force Brittany into sex work. But then after her disappearance became really heavily publicized, he then decided to kill her. So they believed, based on multiple witnesses, that Brittany's body was dumped in one of the dozens of local alligator-infested swamps. One source says that there could be up to 40 of these alligator pits in the local area. Police conducted a search of this stash house where Taquan alleged that Brittany was murdered, but they found nothing. They also searched local swamps and didn't find anything there either. Once the FBI announced their theory, more people came forward with little tidbits of information, some which kind of corroborated Taquan's story, but nothing really solid to prove that any of it was actually true. One instance of this was kind of the secondhand information that came from an inmate at the Georgetown County Jail where Taquan was serving his time. This particular inmate said that he heard from someone else that Tim Taylor picked up Brittany and took her to McClellanville, where he, quote, showed her off and introduced her to some of his friends there. And they ended up forcing her into sex work. And then when her disappearance became big news, Brittany was, quote, murdered and disposed of. So when the FBI started to investigate these statements made by Taquan, they learned that the man he was accusing, Tim Taylor, had a robbery conviction from 2011, and that in 2013, he pleaded guilty to armed robbery. So some details of that, when Tim was 18, he had coordinated a robbery of a McDonald's after conspiring with somebody who used to work there. And while Tim waited in the car, his two friends robbed the McDonald's, wounding the store manager with two non-life-threatening guns shots. Tim cooperated with the police when he was caught and he was given a youth offender sentence of two years probation. 
However, after reviewing the details of this robbery, the federal government thought it was unfair that Tim was sentenced to far less than his co-defendants. So the gunman received 25 years and the other robber got six years suspended after 10 months. They believed Tim deserved to be federally prosecuted for those same charges that he already served time for on the state side of things. So they charged him with two counts of Hobbs Act robbery, which is conspiracy to commit armed robbery affecting commerce, conspiracy to commit Hobbs Act robbery, and a gun enhancement charge for his involvement in the 2011 robbery. So Tim went from serving his time to now facing 10 years to life in prison. His attorney thought this was all coming because federal prosecutors were trying to squeeze information out of Tim. So when the judge asked prosecutors to explain why Tim was being charged in federal court for the same crime he'd already served time for in state court, prosecutors said it was because he was a suspect in Brittany Drexel's disappearance. Another reason was because they felt the outcome of the state court was quote-unquote fundamentally unfair since Tim got off lightly while the other two robbers did not. But that seems like a problem for the state. Like, right, state should have figured that out. So Tim's defense attorney pointed out how strange it was that the FBI was never involved in the Drexel case for years, but as soon as they got involved, they somehow got a confession out of someone. They pointed out that there had been a reward and billboards everywhere already, so why was Daquan just now giving a statement? Prosecutors insisted that their evidence was overwhelming and that Tim was guilty and that there was a high probability of a conviction, but they made him an offer anyway. According to them, if Tim provided truthful, substantial assistance regarding crimes he knew about, including Brittany Drexel, then the most severe charge, the one that carried a life sentence, would be dismissed and Tim would plead guilty to conspiracy to commit Hobbs Act robbery. However, if Tim gave them false information, he would be given a sentence of 10 to 20 years. So to measure whether or not he was being truthful, Tim was given a polygraph test by the FBI on June 14th, 2017, which as we know, when will we be done with polygraph tests? I feel like we just need to put those to bed forever. let's, Let's be done. So this polygraph also included a summary of Brittany's case and multiple people were named as suspects in the report, but the names were redacted. So during this polygraph, Tim talked about an argument that he overheard in June of 2016 between two people that he says were fighting about a time when one of them had been accused of having Britney's cell phone. So Tim said he thought the argument sounded suspicious, but neither of the two people admitted to having anything to do with Britney's disappearance. He just thought, you know, from eavesdropping, according to him, that whatever they were saying about Britney sounded suspicious to him. So Tim was then asked questions, including, quote, do you know for sure who was involved in the disappearance of Brittany Drexel? And did you ever see Brittany in person? Tim said no to both questions, but the FBI claimed that he was being deceptive. His lawyer actually looked at the test results and agreed that the test did show deception, but he allowed Tim to continue taking the test anyway. So Tim continued talking about the argument he heard um, about the cell phone. But when the examiner accused him of withholding information, Tim became really irritated and he started shouting angrily and saying that he wanted to speak to his lawyer again. But at this point, the test was concluded. So Tim ended up meeting with the police a total of three times, helping them put street names to government names, giving them a map, and a lot more. 
The issue that the defense ran into was that Tim had no involvement in the disappearance and therefore didn't have any firsthand knowledge or information as to what happened to Brittany. So they couldn't give prosecutors what they wanted. And that left them with deciding whether to take Tim to trial or to take a plea deal. They had no other choice but to accept the plea and to be given a sentence of 10 to 20 years. But in the end, luckily for Tim, he was sentenced to time served, which at that time was 319 days in jail that he had spent. So to this day, Tim maintains that he had nothing to do with Britney's disappearance. And furthermore, he says he doesn't even know Taquan Brown. Tim's mom, Joan, has vouched for her son from the very beginning, saying that she was really just absolutely stunned when the FBI alleged that her 16-year-old son and her husband were involved in Brittany's disappearance. She said that Tim was in a high school class in McClellanville the day that Brittany went missing and that Myrtle Beach just wouldn't be a place that her son would be going at the age of 16. Furthermore, by the time Tim was charged in federal court, this is years later, as we said, in 2016, he had matured and he was taking care of his sick grandmother during the day and at night. Joan said of her son, quote, Tim was a hardworking young man who has matured into a good, caring person. She says that she just does not understand why her son was singled out in this case. In April of 2019, Taquan Brown spoke with News 10 NBC, and the story he told was slightly different than the one the FBI told. He said he saw Brittany for the first time out of four total times that he claimed to have seen her on April 27, 2009. He said that Brittany was in the stash house with 8 to 12 guys and that she had a black eye and was being sexually assaulted, but he didn't know who she was at that time until he later saw her on the news. A few days later, he went back and saw Brittany again. And that time, he said she ran from the house, but four guys ran after her, hit her, and forced her back inside. During this visit, Taquan said he heard gunshots and assumed Brittany had been shot. Remember before, he said he saw Brittany being shot. Even more so when he got into his car and saw two of the men come out of the house with a rug, which they put in the back of a truck. Taquan said he then drove off. Five days later, Taquan said he went to visit his cousin Herman in the rural town of Jacksonboro, South Carolina, which is about 80 miles away from McClellanville, and that he saw Brittany there alive, sitting in a recliner in Herman's trailer, but she still had a black eye when he saw her. The last time Taquan alleges that he saw Brittany was when he and a friend went to Herman's trailer. He said there was a group of men there with Brittany and that she was shot twice with a shotgun that day. Taquan said he and his friend left, but he knows that some of Brittany's remains were buried in a garden area and then later removed. Interestingly enough, this friend Taquan said he was with when he saw Brittany get murdered was unable to be located and Herman had died of a heart attack by the time this information came out. So as he's saying this, the people he's saying could like corroborate this whole thing. Something's one happened is dead to all of them. and one right. Yeah, one they can't find. So one of the other alleged witnesses was also murdered in 2016. So there's no one to back up to Quan's claims. So we don't know if Taquan changed the story or if the FBI just didn't share all of the details, but it's pretty obvious the story did change because the FBI never visited Herman's place until News 10 NBC published the interview with Taquan in April of 2019, after which the FBI did briefly visit there, but they had not been back for a more thorough search of the property until August of 2019, and of course they did not find anything of interest. And we still have more to get into this story after one last break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. 
Are you still paying for that streaming service you only used once to watch your guilty pleasure show? Or that free trial you forgot about even though you never even logged on? Don't worry, we're not here to judge you. You're amongst friends. In fact, 80% of people have subscriptions they don't even remember. But it's time to say goodbye to those forgotten bills and hello to some extra cash. Introducing Rocket Money, the superhero of subscription cancellation. With just a click, Rocket Money will locate all your hidden subscriptions and cancel them for you. No more annoying hold times or confusing emails. With over 3 million users and average savings of $720 a year, why not join the revolution and say farewell to forgotten subscriptions? Rocket Money, formerly known as Truebill, is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. I am a Rocket Money believer. I was paying $15 a month for Sirius XM and then realized... I only listen to podcasts in my car, so why am I paying for this? And since Sirius makes it so difficult for you and you have to actually call in to cancel your subscription, I gave Rocket Money a little bit of information and they were able to call and cancel it for me, taking one more thing off of my list of things to do. Plus, they saved me about $200 a year. Stop throwing your money away. Cancel unwanted subscriptions and manage your expenses the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com moms. That's rocketmoney.com moms. Rocketmoney.com slash moms. I don't know about you, Mandy. I've never grabbed a one-size-fits-all bathing suit. But when it comes to shampoo and conditioners, I've done it more than once. But really, our hair is as unique as we are, and it's time to start treating it that way. And you can now, thanks to Pros. Pros works to create customized hair care products for people, not hair types. They believe you can have the healthiest, most beautiful hair possible because they make a product that is designed just for you. I took the pro's online hair quiz and it goes over everything from asking my zip code to what my activity level is and even what I'm eating. All these things plus more factor into how my hair reacts and what it needs. And having a shampoo and conditioner that is designed just for you will help you reach your hair goals. The hair I had in my 20s isn't the same hair I have in my 30s. Mine's become way more oily and thin even in the past two or three years. Being able to share things like that in the quiz makes my pros even more effective. My pros has ingredients like apple cider vinegar to give my hair shine and biotin to add strength, both of which my hair has been lacking. And it's nice to wash my hair and actually have it look clean and not oily, which is a huge improvement I've seen with pros. Not only is my hair beginning to look shiny and soft, but it feels better. I chose the Oasis fragrance as part of my custom shampoo, but you can choose another yummy scent or choose no scent at all. Give Pros a try, and if you're not 100% positive that it's the best hair care you've ever had, they'll even take the products back. No questions asked. Pros is the healthy hair regimen with your name all over it. Take your free in-depth hair consultation and get 15% off your first order today. Go to pros.com slash moms. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash moms for your free in-depth hair consultation and 15% off. It's been a while since I've had a baby of my own and some days I miss it so much. The baby cuddles and baby smiles, but when it comes to diaper rashes, not so much. I remember the first time my oldest had a diaper rash, I was really devastated. Here's this tiny thing totally dependent on me, and now she's fussy and obviously uncomfortable, and I'm supposed to have the answers. Well, with time and treatment, it went away, but what I really wanted was to avoid it altogether. And now, baby butts rejoice. New Huggies Skin Essentials are here. A brand new dermatologist-approved line of diapers, wipes, and pull-ups training pants, all designed with baby's sensitive skin in mind. The wipes are thick and have zero harsh ingredients for a great, gentle clean. 
Pull-Up Skin Essentials has got your big kid covered too, with a training pant that's ultra soft and breathable to help protect sensitive skin throughout potty training. Whether you're a first-time parent or a seasoned pro, make it easy on yourself and your baby with Huggies. Learn more at Huggies.com. Once again, head to Huggies.com to learn more. And now back to the episode. So now that Tim Taylor is no longer a viable suspect in the disappearance of Brittany Drexel, the investigators started to consider how advancements in technology since her disappearance might be able to help them. So beginning in 2019, they started using some new technology to track Britney's phone and compare the data to surveillance footage from Myrtle Beach in a much more in-depth way than they could before. So if you will remember, Britney was supposedly walking from Blue Water Resort back to her own hotel, which was Bar Harbor, but she never made it back. Investigators determined that Britney's phone had quickly gone from a slow walking speed all the way up to 55 miles an hour very quickly, which they believe meant that she had gotten into a car. So they looked at the last place that her phone pinged when she was still at walking speed, and they went to that area to look through the surveillance footage and found that there was only one car that passed through the same area as Britney's phone that night. That vehicle was looked up, and it was soon learned that it belonged to none other than Raymond Moody. That was the registered sex offender who had been named a person of interest in Brittany's disappearance all the way back in 2012 after a family member of his said, hey, look into this guy. So in April of 2022, a confidential informant told the FBI about statements that were made by Raymond's girlfriend, Angel, regarding Brittany's disappearance. Now, if you'll recall, Angel actually talked with the investigators back in 2011 about Raymond. She's the one who told them that she wouldn't be surprised to learn if he was responsible for abducting a girl because he fantasized about exactly that. So Angel in 2022, once again, was brought in for questioning. It's now more than 10 years later, and she is still in a relationship with Raymond. She agreed to help the FBI with their case and ended up wearing a wire for them while she spoke with Raymond. We don't know exactly what authorities overheard in that conversation, but whatever it was, was enough for them to get a warrant to search Raymond's house. Unfortunately, they didn't find any evidence there. It's been over a decade, but they were still pretty sure about what had happened based on Moody's criminal history and based on the surveillance and phone data that they had. Raymond Moody was finally arrested on May 4th, 2022 at the age of 64. He was charged with obstructing justice at that time. So investigators knew he killed Brittany at this point, but they didn't have all the evidence needed to prove it. So they arrested him for obstruction as a way to get Moody behind bars while they gathered evidence that he murdered Brittany. Moody ultimately confessed that day, stating that on April 25th, 2009, he and Angel went to Myrtle Beach to party. He was driving that day and Angel was a passenger. He said he was smoking pot as he was driving, and when they pulled up next to Brittany, who was walking on the sidewalk, Brittany made a comment about it smelling like good weed. Raymond offered her some and told her to get in the car, which he said that she did. He said Brittany hopped in the back seat without a problem and made small talk with them for a while before they invited her back to their campsite, which Raymond claimed Brittany agreed to. The three of them drove south to a campsite in Georgetown, where they smoked marijuana. Ray said he never planned on hurting Brittany, but at some point he did get the idea in his head that she would have consensual sex with him that night. He hoped so anyway. At some point, Angel left to bring something to her son, and once she was gone, Moody tried to make a move on Brittany, but she turned him down. 
in that moment, Raymond decided to rape her. And then he panicked, thinking that Brittany would tell people what happened and that he would go back to prison. So he then strangled her and wrapped her body in a blanket and put her in the bushes nearby. When Angel returned, Raymond told her that Brittany called some friend to pick her up and that she left with them. Then he told Angel he didn't want to stay at the campsite that night, so the two of them left. The next day, Raymond went back and moved Brittany's body to a wooded area in Georgetown County where he buried her. Moody said that he got rid of the clothes he was wearing and he put Brittany's clothes and her purse in a Salvation Army donation box. He then threw her phone into the river and he later cut up or burned all of Brittany's forms of ID. He said he did keep her high school ID for a long time, but eventually threw it out. So Raymond says that Angel never knew anything about what happened to Brittany. After confessing, he took investigators to the campsite and to the burial location. On May 11th, 2022, the FBI recovered remains from the burial location, and they were positively identified as being Brittany's through dental records. Later that same day, investigators spoke with Angel again, who ended up signing what's called a proffer. So this isn't the same thing as an immunity agreement, but she basically did agree to give the investigators helpful information, and in exchange, her statements wouldn't be used against her. Prosecutors actually had enough to charge Angel with being an accessory to murder, but they chose not to do that because they really wanted her help with the investigation, and she gave that to them. Prosecutors don't believe that Angel was present when Brittany was killed. They do believe that she had left to go take something to her son and that Raymond lied to her when she got back. She ended up admitting that she was in the car when Raymond picked Brittany up that night. And she confirmed that Brittany did get into the car on her own accord after Raymond offered to share marijuana with her. But she told a similar story, like I said, about going back to the campsite and then she left to go deal with something. And when she got back, Raymond said Brittany was gone. So finally, on May 16th, the police announced that they had charged Raymond with murder, kidnapping, and first-degree criminal sexual misconduct. Brittany's mom, Dawn, said, quote, This is truly a mother's worst nightmare. I am mourning my beautiful daughter today as I have for the last 13 years. We are much closer to the peace that I have been hoping for. And she thanked the police for their work investigating Brittany's case. Tim Taylor's mom, Joan, spoke at a press conference a few days later and openly talked about how the false allegations against her family had ruined their lives. Moody's arrest and charges for Brittany's disappearance proved once and for all that Tim wasn't involved. He had spent years maintaining his innocence in the face of, quote, relentless pursuit by law enforcement and the media. Joan said that her family was enraged that it took so long to clear their name. She said the stories written about Tim and all the times he was named in association with this case had traumatized the family and affected every aspect of their lives. Joan wants law enforcement to stop the practice of disclosing unfounded leads and names of potential suspects without credible evidence. Joan said, quote, doing this has real life consequences and a lasting disparaging effect on so many, particularly us black families. And we suffer the ramifications of being falsely accused far too long, end quote. So Tim later spoke to ABC News 4 about what it's like being named a suspect in Britney's disappearance. He said he and his mom lived in fear for six years, having to watch their backs constantly. They got death threats, insulting messages. And Joan said, quote, they wanted so badly for this to be Timothy. They didn't even look for the real killers, end quote. The FBI has said they don't have any need to apologize to Tim or his family because they were basically just doing their jobs. 
Raymond Moody pleaded guilty on October 19, 2022, to charges of kidnapping, criminal sexual conduct, and murder. Prosecutors detailed Moody's confession and acknowledged that parts of his story were self-serving, but it offered enough evidence to convince the investigators that he had, in fact, committed the crime. One prosecutor said, quote, I don't believe everything he said, but after 13 years, you've got to take what he said, corroborate what you can. His confession was enough to get rape, murder, and kidnapping because we could corroborate a lot of his story, end quote. Raymond addressed the court and said, quote, I served 20 years and I thought it was enough, but it wasn't. I was a monster then and I was a monster when I took Brittany Drexel's life. I don't have the words to express how horrible I feel. I'm very sorry, end quote. Brittany's parents also addressed the court. Dawn talked about how she wears her daughter's ashes around her neck. She said that she didn't believe that Brittany went with Raymond and Angel willingly and that the scratches Raymond was seen with all over his face a couple of days later were from Brittany fighting back. Dawn said, quote, today, no one wins. The criminal justice system has failed my daughter as it continues to fail so many other victims. And frankly, Mr. Moody, it failed you because you never should have been released from prison. You should have served the full 40 year sentence, but you walked after only serving 20 years and returned to your wicked ways. And my daughter paid for that with her own life. End quote. Don also spoke about the way that Moody ruined the life of Tim Taylor, many of whose family members were also in the courtroom that day. At the end of the hearing, Moody was sentenced to 30 years each for kidnapping and criminal sexual conduct and life for murder. According to the South Carolina Department of Corrections, Moody is currently housed in an undisclosed location. But this, as we said, kind of just all wrapped up last year, so they could still really just be deciding what prison he's going to be permanently housed in. Right. So as we kind of mentioned when we started talking about Tim Taylor and, you know, what was happened, you know, what happened to him in this case, it, as we were saying, this case is such a great example of just how wrong, like we can be about people like you were saying, and how social media has made it so easy to kind of make witch hunts like a real thing where like, totally people come far and wide to kind of gang up on someone and form conspiracy theories. And with, you know, platforms like it's insane. Like when you even see platforms like Reddit, like Everything has a Reddit page now, a subreddit where you can go and like just there's people that are just dedicating all of their time to like talking about cases that like haven't even been solved. They just have theories. And like you said, with that, that's how you get like that mob mentality where it's like you don't even have all the facts. You don't like the police don't even have all the facts. And now somebody's life is ruined. Like it's absolutely terrible. Absolutely. And it's wild that Taquan had no connection to Tim. He used his name, but they weren't friends. They didn't know each other. He just has his name. And the theory is maybe that he was trying to take the heat off himself since he was starting this really long sentence. And maybe he was looking for a deal from the prosecution. We don't know if he got one, but that's like one theory to why he named him. And I can't remember. I feel like this could have been on Making a Murder like years and years ago. So don't quote me on this. But there was... um. There was a quote by an attorney that was something like, you can say that you will never kill someone, but you can't say that no one will ever say you killed someone. So basically, once somebody does that, you're kind of backed into a wall. As soon as you accuse somebody of something, now you're having to fight to say, no, I didn't do that. Right. Even though, even if in the court of law, like you're technically innocent until proven guilty, but it doesn't matter because in the world, as soon as somebody has said that about you, Now you have to prove you didn't do it. And that's 
absolutely not fair and and it shouldn't be that way. So if nothing else in this, I hope we've all learned a lesson <laughs> to maybe if you have your theories, maybe keep them to yourself. I, yeah. I or just don't I, put them something. on the internet. Just talk don't to, put them talk on the about internet it amongst friends. Yeah, <laughs> like, don't there put it on go. the internet. <laughs> but it's true because I can't imagine how hurtful that is. And even thinking to Dawn, like she's hearing all these stories from Taquan saying these terrible things happened to her daughter, and then these terrible things happened to her daughter. So she's their whole family's being revictimized all the time just with these lies that this guy's coming up with and, you know, thinking about what her daughter could have gone through, which she obviously went through horrific, terrible things, but to not know the real story because somebody just chooses to lie. I don't right. know. There's that, just, it's infuriating. Yeah, it absolutely. really is. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, that was our story for this week. Melissa, would you like to lighten things up a little bit and move on to last thing before we go? I think we should. I think we should, Mandy. So this week, don't ask me where this came from. I don't know. When I think of you, I think of the Mandela effect. <laughs> <laughs> I think I we maybe have done this once before, but that's okay. I tried to choose different ones anyway. Well, or maybe and, maybe I'm yeah. Mandela affecting right now, and I'm just mm-hmm. thinking that we've done this before, but exactly. we haven't actually. If anyone says we've done this before, <laughs> did we? Or did you just think we did? You don't know. <laughs> So basically, there's a page that had like 25 Mandela effects. And if you're not familiar with Mandela effect, Mandy, you can probably explain it better than I can. It's like a thing. So it originated because there was a lot of a large group of people basically that thought that Nelson Mandela died long before he actually did. So whenever the news came out that he was dead, like people there like a lot. I'm not just talking about like a handful of people. I'm talking about like a lot of people were like, what do you mean? Like, I specifically remember him dying right. you know, back whenever it was. I don't know the full details of that one. That's not one of my favorite Mandela effects, which is funny because that's the original that's one. original. I know. Yeah. Of course, you can go online and find tons of different Mandela effect things now. And if you know what it is, then like, I'm sure you know several of them. Um, but if not, today's your lucky day. We're going to tell you some examples of Mandela effects that may or may not blow your mind. And like Melissa said, if we've already done this before... No, we haven't. No, we didn't. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Melissa, what is your first one? So Mandy, I would like to ask you a spelling question. And this is not the Berenstein Bears one, don't worry. This is a different one. Mandy, how do you spell Flintstones? Like the Stone Age family, the Flintstones. Meet the Flintstones. Um, F-L-I-N-T-S-T-O-N-E-S. Okay, you're right. So I'm um, right. I'm right. Yay. <laughs> but so many people think that the T in Flint is dropped and that it was always the Flintstones. Like I no, thought it was F L I N. Any sense because it's Flint, like fire, like starting a fire, Flint and stones. Oh, I thought it was Michigan. Right? That's how you start fire. The Flintstones. I don't know. Yeah. No, Did I, I know make it's not that do you know no, no, no. About? You're right. You're right. Okay. But and I think it's one of those things you say so much or like you picture it in your head. And so it's like some people have thought that there just wasn't a T at the beginning. So Flintstones is just Flintstones. I never oh. put it together that it was Flint. So I'm already an idiot. So apparently this <laughs> isn't really a Mandela effect. And obviously, I know it's not named after Michigan, guys. That was a joke. 
I think I said it too fast, but I want to put that out there because I don't want to get emails on that. But that's one of the Mandela effects. Mandy, what is yours? Wow. Okay. So I found when I was looking at Mandela effects, you probably found the same thing that a lot of the Mandela effects, I feel, revolve around movies or quotes from things, which kind of makes you think that maybe it's not Mandela effect. Maybe it's just a bunch of people like misremembering what they heard because or mishearing something. True. However, some of them are really um, surprising that you would not be correct about this. So one of the ones that I feel like a lot of people probably feel like they would know for sure is the quote from Forrest Gump when he says, life is like, what's the quote, A box of chocolates. Uh Uh-huh. You never know what you're going to get. Right. Well, that's actually not the quote. (laughs) What? (laughs) That's actually not it. So all he says is life was like a box of chocolates, period, full stop. They never say, he never says, you never know what you're going to get. That's not like really part of the Why would I come up with that? I don't know, Melissa. Why does everyone think that? That's the whole Mandela effect thing. So they're saying he never said it because I can hear in my voice Tom Hanks as Forrest Gump saying that. You can go watch Forrest Gump and it (sighs) never, he never says, you never know what you're going to get. All he says is life was like a box of chocolates. So that doesn't even make sense. (laughs) <laughs> it doesn't even make sense. Life is like a box of chocolates, overpriced. Is right. that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. Sometimes well, stale? if you're in the month of February, yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I don't like that one at all. That's like ruining some things for me. So I'd like to ruin something for you. Speaking of like TV and things we remember in movies, um, here's one. And I've heard this before, but I still don't believe it. But I'm not going to do any research. Um, in Return of the Jedi – Star Wars, which I'm not really Star Wars head, but there people remember this very famous saying, like the most famous from Star Wars being, Luke, I am your father. But in actuality, Darth Vader says to him, no, I am your father. I wouldn't know that because I have never in my life sat through a Star Wars movie and I am so proud to be but Mandy, star wars Mandy, you've heard the phrase luke i am your father of right course like in I pop have, culture but i've only heard it from all of you that are wrong about it being the quote i've People never seen get a pass movie. on this you would have thought that that was it so you would have agreed to that i haven't seen star wars i think i saw one with my friend rj years ago and i was like this is the worst thing i've ever seen in my entire life but i didn't see this one but i know this phrase and why did we mess that up why would they why Why would we all make that up? Who did this? I'm telling you, the ones that are like misquote things really blow my mind because so many people have accepted the wrong version. And that's why – but that's the whole phenomenon. That's the whole Mandela effect. It's like how is there so many people who – who have the same wrong idea. I'm just so dumb. I think that's starting to be what it is. And I believe what people tell me. Okay, Mandy, what's your next one? (laughs) Okay. I may have mentioned this one to you on the show before, but – I wanted to ask you, how many states are there in the United States? Let's not do this. This can't be wrong. There are 50 states in the United States. Okay. You're sure? Oh, <laughs> Actually, I am because my son and I were just talking about how many stars are on. We're, he's into flags right now. I have to send you a picture of his flag or maybe I'll post it on social media. We had Amazon make him a flag because he's super obsessed with them right now. Yeah, it's 50. I know it's 50. It is 50. You're right. So I am among the people who have been just shaken to their core um, (laughs) over this one because I specifically remember 
in school learning that there were 52 states. And I'm not talking about territories because everyone's always like, oh, you're thinking about U.S. territories. No, I'm not. I'm thinking about literally being taught in school that there were 52 states. And then the next thing people say is always like, well, what were they named? Like, what were they? I'm like, I don't know what they were named. There just was 52. I don't know. That's wild. And apparently that is a thing because I have found it on the internet that a lot of other people feel the same way. I asked my husband and he said he also remembers learning that there was 52 states. Okay, but your husband was homeschooled, so I don't know how to trust <laughs> that. <laughs> and I say that with love. We've both homeschooled our kids for, <laughs> for a time. Um, and I was homeschooled for a while. All I can think is like 50, because we always talk about the 48 and then the two, you know, Hawaii and Alaska. So I could see that being a confusing thing. But to have learned 50 is wild to me because until you told me that last time, I guess we might have kind of talked about that. I had never heard that. Like that was very yeah. foreign to me. It's very, very, Wild. very strange. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. So my last one is if you grew up with Curious George or your kids watched Curious George, there some people remember Curious George having a tail and others do not think Curious George had a tail. But I have in the- heard of this Mandela effect before. I can't remember which one is correct now, but I can tell you which one I recall. What do you remember? Definitely has a tail. He does not have a tail. Oh my god! In gosh. the book, she does not have a tail. <laughs> yeah, but I'm like, I specifically remember that stupid monkey swinging around on things. So he had I to have had like a tail. I feel like he had a long tail, like a pretty very long. One. long. I don't Could have wrapped it in a bow. What was that like saying? I don't even want to get into it because it's probably not even a saying anymore. I probably made that up in my head too. Do your ears hang low? Do they wobble to and fro? (laughs) And I think it became a wrap too later on. Um, Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. (laughs) All right, Mandy, what's your last one? Okay. All right. So my last one. Did you ever watch Judge Judy? Mandy. Did you ever Please don't insult my intelligence. Of course I did. (laughs) Okay. So you remember – you always remember her iconic, right? Slamming the gavel down and saying, Mandy, if you tell me court. that she didn't have a gavel, I'm going to lose my mind. <laughs> she did not have a gavel. <laughs> not once, never once, not even one episode. She never had a gavel. She never slammed a gavel down. <laughs> did she have gavel like hands? And maybe that's what we're confusing. <laughs> that's <laughs> very insulting to our queen, Judge Judy. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I do know that she changed her hairstyle up. More recently, she like wears a ponytail. Oh, she's, she's like, still I'm around. Done. I mean, not I think a, so. Not around, as in like around, but like not R I P. Judge Judy, um, <laughs> just no, still she's, making wonderful. Yeah, and she wears a ponytail now. And I a dare ponytail. someone. To t- I have to go look this up. I dare someone to tell me she doesn't wear a ponytail now because I will use my own <laughs> gavel like hands. And I'm knock googling you out. Judge Judy recently. That's my Google. Oh, search. I like how you did that. <laughs> I would do I Judge Google. Judy ponytail. <laughs> oh, um. Recently, oh, it's does. so subjective. Well, it's like a little bun. It's a little – it's not – I wouldn't call it a ponytail. Oh, crap. See, I don't even know what I'm talking well, about. Well, at least in I've this been episode, man- maybe she just has a bun. Oh, things to know. Google is asking me if I want to know about controversy with Judge Judy. I don't think it's a good idea to end our show on controversy on um, Judge Judy. It's not. But if you're interested, it's out there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I want to not be mandela anymore. I'm going to do in 2023, that's my new goal, to not be mandela and fall for things like Forrest Gump. That is such crap. Did You want to know I'm another so one that's going to make that you one. angry? You know what Sally Field never once said? They oh, like the, me. They really like me. <laughs> wait, I thought she said, um, 
I like, wait, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and gosh darn it, people like me. Is that what wait. it was? No, I think you're right, but I'm remembering something else. Oh, well, I'm absolutely right. They, She never said they liked me. They really hey, just me. everyone listening, I hope you've turned it off because I don't know what's <laughs> happening now. <laughs> We're just having our own conversation at this point. It's a side conversation. <laughs> no, okay, so she actually said, I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. But she didn't repeat, you really like me? She didn't. She did not say, you like this me. This opportunity, really that's, like me. <laughs> that's bad on her. You know what? That's bad on her. I would try to rewrite history if I was her because people yeah. like you remember that as being exactly. the thing she said. Exactly. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, that was enough <laughs> silliness, I think, for the week. So we'll be back next week. Same time, same place, new story. Have a great week. Bye.